meaning disappears toys remain and we live in a world full of that right now where the meaning of life has vanished but we have a lot of toys a lot of distractions but most of us don't learn that we're investing our energy in toys until we get all the toys we want and we realize none of it really satisfies it's a driving force for people in their lives to seek meaning in their lives, and when we feel a void, we want to fill it up. Today's message will flip that approach on its head as we learn that happiness really shouldn't be our goal. Happiness is a fruit that comes from living for something greater than ourselves. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, All the Pleasure Money Can Buy. One of the things that is so provocative about the Bible, especially when you're new to it, is how radically real the Bible is. I remember when I was growing up, before I had ever actually read the Bible, but I was quite sure that I didn't believe it. I remember just thinking to myself and hearing things like, how can a book written thousands of years ago actually speak today? as if only contemporary things are worthwhile. I mean, if you think about the logic of that statement, that if it's old, it's just not cool. I mean, how many of you would say that about Led Zeppelin? I mean, there's just something about Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, you know what I mean? It's like, doesn't matter how many generations pass after Led Zeppelin. I mean, it's just Led Zeppelin, I mean, every vocalist, after hearing the intro to Immigrant Song, you guys know that one, ah, with that, all that falsetto stuff? Every vocalist is like, I want to do that, you know? You guys are like, I don't know who Led Zeppelin is. That's all right. You pray for Pastor Daniel. But see, the thing about the Bible is it's so real because people never change. Sure, situations change, cultures change. Sure, the, uh, you know, Jesus didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have a Facebook account. But has anybody really felt that having an iPhone or a Facebook account makes you a different type of a human being? See, humans have always been the same. The struggles of the human heart have always been the same. Like we saw last week in Ecclesiastes, we find that there's nothing new under the sun you and I are just like every other generation of humans who've ever lived, although the circumstances of our, of our lives have changed. The details have changed, but the character hasn't. And I remember when I started reading the Bible for the first time, I was so taken by how street level the Bible really was. I thought, oh, it couldn't mean anything for me today. And I realized, no, it's hitting on all the same things. Sure, it's an ancient book, 
but its message is radically contemporary. Now, we're doing this series, You Only Live Once, because we only have one attempt at what's going to go on in this life under the sun. So however many days under the sun we are given, you have one shot at it. Now, I realize that YOLO, it's really about just doing dumb things because you only live once, so might as well embarrass ourselves. And that's one way to approach the world, don't get me wrong. But if you only live once on this side of eternity, then we better make sure we get this side right. Because after it's over, it's over. You can't go back and redo it. You can't go back and undo it. When it's done, it's done. The book of Ecclesiastes, it's a pessimistic book for the most part. If you were here last week, we saw how everything's frustrating. And remember, I made the point that I didn't want to make the book less pessimistic because that wouldn't honor the scriptures. But we find that if you look at the world solely through natural eyes, the eyes of what we can see, and we think this life is all there is, yeah, it's going to be exceedingly dejecting. Life's going to feel pointless. And what's interesting is as we move into Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where we are today, we're going to find that the preacher of Ecclesiastes, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is going to get at something that all of us try to find some sort of meaning in, and that is pleasure and wealth. Pleasure and wealth. So open up in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, I'm going to get you the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to read along. I don't want you to think, oh, well, the pastor's just making all this stuff up. This is actually, we're just following what it says. So open up your Bibles. It's in the Old Testament, which is the first two-thirds of your Bible. And then you have the largest single volume in your Bible is the book of Psalms. It's actually five books, but it's 150 lyrics of songs. That's what Psalms is. Then you have the 31 chapters of Proverbs. And then there it is, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I think Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is... All too street level for us because we live in a culture that is driven by happiness. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with our culture being driven by happiness because if you're going to live, might as well be happy. And happiness is a cultural value in the West. If it makes me happy, I do it. If it fails to make me happy, I stop doing it. Sometimes. A lot of us know what it's like to do things over and over and over again that don't make us happy, but we have habits in these things. Now, what's interesting about our culture is it's driven by happiness, but I don't know that anyone would characterize American and Western culture as happy. And that's the, a unique paradox of the movement towards happiness. When you try and make yourself happy, happiness in and of itself is hard to come by. Viktor Frankl in his classic book called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a, was a Holocaust survivor. And this is what he says about happiness. It's fascinating and almost a little bit too challenging for our culture. Happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself 
or as a byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Pleasure is and must remain a side effect or byproduct, and check this out, and is destroyed and spoiled to the degree to which it is made a goal in itself. That hits a little too close for home, home, doesn't it? He's saying, look, if you try and get happy, you're never going to be. But true happiness, true fulfillment, true meaning is a byproduct of something other than happiness, which is a surrendering or a dedication to something more important than just the individual. And I believe that's why our culture, see, I think Viktor Frankl, he nails it. And that's why our culture pursues happiness, but no one's happy. We're constantly grasping for this thing, but nobody actually finds true abiding happiness because when you and your happiness is the driving goal of your life, right? If someone asks you, are you happy? What's the first thing you think about? All the things you want changed. You were happy up until the point that you focused on, am I happy? You know, it's like, hey, are you happy? Well, I could use X, Y, Z, this, this. That's the way it goes. True happiness, what you and I really want is, a, is the fruit or the byproduct or the side effect of pursuing something that is even greater than you as an individual. And what's interesting, that's exactly what Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is all about. Ecclesiastes 2 is about the preacher of Ecclesiastes, be it Solomon or somebody else, saying, look, I'm going to use wealth to buy pleasure and I'm going to see what I get. And most Americans think that a little bit more money is going to bring a lot more happiness. Now, I know we're in church, so you're not supposed to think that. And so if I asked you in the family room, you'd tell me no. But let's be honest, our culture is driven on just, if I just get that thing, that next piece, if I only had this, then happiness comes. And remember last week I told you, money can buy a lot of things. Money can buy all the things that money can buy. But money can't buy meaning. Money can't buy beauty. Money can't buy grace or fulfillment. But it can buy a lot of other things. As Peter Kreeft said, when ultimate meaning disappears, toys remain. And we live in a world full of that right now where the meaning of life has vanished, but we have a lot of toys, a lot of distractions. But most of us don't learn that we're investing our energy in toys until we get all the toys we want and we realize none of it really satisfies. And that's what Ecclesiastes 2 is all about. So let's jump right on in. Look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, Therefore, enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. Verse 4, I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. 
I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. Now, these verses teach us that pleasure does not satisfy. Pleasure does not satisfy. And we're going to see as we unpack the rest of the chapter, this is going to become more and more pronounced as we go. But pleasure in and of itself does not satisfy. Now, we begin in the first two verses with the pursuit and the conclusion. So what's he getting at? And it begins, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But sure, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? So he explains exactly what he's getting at. He said in his heart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out if pleasure satisfies. And notice there's this idea of pleasure and there's this idea of mirth. There's two different words used. Now, the idea for, for pleasure, and in verse 2, it's, it's used as laughter, speaks of kind of the superficial joy of experience. So he said, in one way, in this testimony of him seeking meaning, he's saying, I just tried to find superficial fun. And we can all insert the attempts that we've had at superficial fun. Like, it's just, it's skin deep. It's not deep at all. It's just, I'm going to have fun. Fun, 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 fun. And listen, we live in a culture that's, and an economy that's driven by superficial fun. Now, don't get me wrong. Fun isn't bad, but fun isn't ultimately fulfilling either. Because if you have fun, ha, 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 ha. After it's over, what happens? You need to find something else that's fun. How many times have we giggled looking for the next thing to make us laugh even harder? Because once you have a lot of fun, what do you start doing? You start weighing everything up to the last fun that you had. I remember when I first heard Bill Cosby himself back in the early 80s. Now, he was funny, right? Dad is great. He gave us the chocolate cake. And I mean, that's like parenting advice for me, man. When mom's not there in the morning, I'm like, let's have some cake. The kid's like, yeah, dad's awesome. I'm like, thank you, Bill. And that's why my wife doesn't let me do breakfast that often. But you know what? That was funny. But then all of a sudden, then Richard Pryor shows up. Richard Pryor wasn't funny like Bill Cosby, but he was a lot more dirty, wasn't he? And then I remember when I became a teenager, there was a guy named Andrew Dice Clay. And if you don't know who he is, don't worry about it. (laughs) See, it's funny. It's superficial. That's one way to get at joy. But the idea of mirth, mirth speaks about a refined thoughtful pleasure. And what's interesting is Solomon, as he explains, or the preacher explains, he's not going at, he's not explaining all the superficial ways he tried to find joy. He's doing the sophisticated ways to find joy. So for this preacher, as we're going to see in the next verses, he wasn't looking for just like a laugh, laugh, ha, ha. He was looking for a sophisticated kind of a pleasure, like I am a wine connoisseur. Most people, if they're going to drink wine, they just throw it back. 
But then there's those people who are like, they have this special way that they, that they move it and they, it's all pretentious. <laughs> Solomon's getting at a more regal type of joy. It's like people, they go, I remember growing up outside of New York and we'd go to art galleries, you know, we were like 18 and all of a sudden there'd be, you know, a, a woman in a fur coat with her all decked out and her husband three-piece suit and they're staring at this piece of art and it's like a cow divided into like 12 pieces in formaldehyde and you're just sitting there and, and you're like, I'm just like 17 looking like I do now a little thinner, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, that's a cow, and they're like, this is very, very interesting. It's like this kind of refined attempt at at joy. Instead of going to the racetrack, I breed my own horses. Solomon's getting at that as well. And, and, and what's interesting is whatever type of pleasure, whether it's superficial or seemingly sophisticated, In verse 1, he says what? It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It doesn't get us what we want. And it reminds us once again of Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See, what good is it to spend your whole life giggling at superficial jokes or spend your whole life trying to be an erudite, refined kind of a person with joy? What will you give for it? What does it really get you if you become the one in a million person who can smell the wine and taste it and tell you every little detail that's within it and you lose that on your own soul? I mean, do you really want to play scratch golf and lose eternity? Lose the real meaning of life? Do you really want whatever that thing is that you're propping up for joy and meaning, do you really want that at the expense of the life you were created for? And what's interesting is the writer to Ecclesiastes and you and I, we are willing to trade it, aren't we? We have such a lost view of ourselves that we are willing to trade it. If we're honest, yeah, I will give it up for that one thing that I want. Now, it's interesting because in verse 3 to 8, the preacher goes down all the different things he tries to do. And it's fascinating. Look, verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the sons of man to do under heaven in all the days of their life. See, he's saying, look, I tried to drink wine as a connoisseur. Notice, he doesn't say, I tried to drink wine and get as drunk as I could, as quickly as I could. He's saying, I tried to drink wine, but I tried to keep my wits about me. So he's not talking about just getting all hammered up. He's saying, I wanted to drink wine and experience the pleasures of that, but I wanted to keep my mind. I wanted to be able to still assess what I am doing. So he tried using substances. Even classic substances. Look at verse 4. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. He's like, man, I got my house. I got my summer home. I got my lake home. I got my ski bunny home. I got my this, this, and this. Everywhere I got vineyards. Now you got to realize that vineyards not only were beautiful, but they were also commodities because with vineyards, of course, you can make wine. I moved up here from the from the San Francisco Bay Area. I live right between San Francisco and uh, the Napa Valley, which is known for its vineyards. 
So he's like, I planted vineyards of all different types. Not content with that. He said, I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. So he's like, look, I, I, I built lush gardens. I even had fruit trees in my gardens. Look at verse 6. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. He's saying, look, I, I made myself irrigation ponds. Verse 7. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had possessions of herds and flocks. Then all who were in Jerusalem before me, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings. He's saying, look, I was wealthy. I had all the pleasure money could buy. Now, don't get me wrong. You read it says male and female servants, and everyone's like, what's up with that? You have to realize that being a servant in that day, and we've talked about this here a lot, but for those of you maybe who haven't heard it before, slavery in that culture was different than our culture. The most simple equivalent to slavery in our culture, as it was portrayed in the times of the writer in Jesus' times, is if you owe money and you have a job to pay your bills, you're a slave. People became slaves because they couldn't afford to pay their bills, so they worked for somebody who was more wealthy in order to pay off their bills. And that's, isn't that the driving principle for the reason most of us have jobs? We need to pay the mortgage or the rent. We need to pay for the car. We need gas in the car. We want to eat a little bit. We like a little entertainment. So I do whatever I can do to make enough money. You're a slave. And this man is like, look, I built things. I had beautiful homes. I had all the pleasure money could buy. I had male and female servants. I was a business owner. I had people working for me. I didn't even have to raise my finger. People said, I said, go do this. They did it. And not only that, he's like, I got silver, I got gold, I got herds. He had a diversified portfolio. That's what all that means. That's like old school. I got me stocks, I got me bonds, I got me partial ownerships in lots of businesses. I have all these employees, so I don't have to do a whole lot. He climbed the ladder, so to speak. He did everything. Even so much so, I mean, by verse 8, it's fascinating what it says here. It says, I had gold, silver, special treasures of kings and of the provinces. He's like, I I acquired male and female singers. He's like, listen, I had Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga. I had the, the first Les Paul, I had musical instrument. I mean, he's like, look, I had everything. He was getting from the treasures from the provinces. Kings were coming and giving him, hey, check this out. I just wanted to bring this to you because you're the king and this thing. And it's like, this guy had everything. He had everything you could ever dream. He could buy everything that was listed on eBay. It was all his. He had access to everything. He had all the pleasure money could buy. But look at what happens in verse 9. So I became great and excelled more than all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained in me, or with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced at all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun." Jesus is real. As we heard from Pastor Daniel today, if happiness is the driving goal in your life, you're probably struggling being discontent. Happiness is the fruit of pursuing something greater than ourselves. 
And that's what we heard at the start of this study through Ecclesiastes 2. We want something, but when we get it, we're on to the next thing that will make us happy. To get out of that vicious cycle, we can embrace Jesus. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Jesus Is Real Radio as we continue our study in Ecclesiastes. We'll find that having it all is never enough, no matter how hard our cultural values push us to strive for wealth, power, or happiness. You'll be challenged to consider your one life, this finite life, and how you're going to live it. There is an afterlife, and it's no small thing to contemplate where you'll spend it. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Daniel will continue sharing with us from the book of Ecclesiastes. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.